Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. We're here today with Dr. Michal Agus Fox. Welcome to Healthful Woman. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Excellent. So when we're thinking about doing these corona-related podcasts, one of the most interesting aspects of this is the idea that parents are home with their kids all day now. The parents mostly aren't going to work. The kids aren't going to school. And this has brought up a lot of challenges, a lot of interesting situations. And I was thinking, who better to talk about this than you? Yes, um, I'm an expert at this. There was nothing better than moving our kids home from college in the middle of their semester. And I'm speaking to parents on the phone all the time with young kids. So parents in all different stages of challenges that we have to help here. Right. So you work currently and have been for 17 years as a school psychologist, mostly for lower school. So what, what ages is that? That's basically from nursery to... So three-year-olds, which tends to be nursery through fourth grade. I've been working for 17 years in that in the private schools. I mean, you're not doing therapy for these kids in the school. So it's not like a psychologist that people think you go to for one-on-one therapy. It's more how they work within a school system, right? Right. So we help as a school psychologist, we kind of bridge the social, emotional, and the academics together. So my job is really more, I work a lot with parents because when kids are younger, you work with parents on parenting skills and you work with teachers in the classroom and administration and you kind of bridge the gap between everyone. So everyone is partnering together to help children thrive in schools. Right. And that obviously is you know, difficult enough in a normal environment where kids are in school. We use the word typical. Yeah. (laughs) I should know that, by the way, because I've heard it for 17 years that typical is the word, not normal, but I'm a slow learner. In a typical environment where, you know, kids are at school and teachers are there and everything is set up as it should be, it's difficult enough to try to help kids go through each with their own individual challenges and strengths and weaknesses and whatnot. But this must be compounded exponentially with them at home. We know as parents ourselves uh, the challenges and definitely, especially in New York City, where they are in apartments with young children and many families are not leaving their apartments. It is extremely challenging to motivate children to even tune into remote learning and for parents to work while at the same time their children are learning and really kids are in very small confined spaces and it's it's hard for everyone in the middle of the coronavirus epidemic. You know, when the parents are reaching out to you for help and for support during all this, what are the kinds of things that come up? Is it just the same things you were doing before, but now they're calling you? Or is it sort of new challenges that they're facing in this unprecedented situation, that's as we our, like to say? That's our favorite word. We say that every night to each other. I would say that we have all different types of phone calls going on. So we have parents who are asking me if they should continue, if their child might be in a therapy, if they should continue with something like that in a remote setting. So teletherapy is a challenge and not every child will respond to that. So I'm, I'm working with some parents on the benefits of or not or not having that in a child's life right now. There are challenges of kids who are experiencing emotions that parents have never seen before. So for example, the other day I was talking to a parent, the child is either five or six. The child was experiencing sad thoughts, something that the child had never had before. This is a very 
happy-go-lucky child with lots of friends and well-adjusted. And all of a sudden, the child is looking sad, saying sad, saying things that she's not happy. She doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't want to engage in learning in school. And the parent called me very concerned because this is a very big shift for this family with this unique child, with this situation. So I tried to explain to parents that this is not going to be long-term, at least I I hope not. Um, <laughs> feels like endless. Let them have their feelings, validate children, let them express themselves, and then really distract them is, is a big thing of mine. Let's find something for them that they can do or something that interests them so that we can take away these feelings that really, I, I don't think any of us, even as adults, we don't know what to do with ourselves right now. If there's, we don't have control over the situation. And that is very challenging for children and adults. Instead of saying, what, what can't you do? I always try to find, what can you do? And it's just very practical things. So let's say a child's interested in music or in art or in a certain exercise, or they just want to watch TV. It's okay. Let them do those things that they need right now to help everyone cope through the day. The child, the parent, the siblings, whoever, the dog, whoever's in the house at the time. That's obviously great advice, but I also want to go back to what you said at the beginning about validating their feelings. And that's something that we sometimes have a very hard time doing with anybody, certainly with adults, but also with children. The instinct is, you know, if a child is sad or anxious to say, well, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be. Why are you? Why are you? And explain a little bit more like what what you mean by validate. How can parents understand that or use that with their kids? It is our role as parents to want to protect our children. That is a human instinct, I believe. So we, in doing that, we don't want our kids to experience pain or to experience emotions that make us as adults uncomfortable. So oftentimes we try to fix those feelings for them or we try to take it away for them. So we'll say things, the child might say, I'm so mad or I'm so angry. And you'll say, you're not really so angry, but actually the child is really angry. And our job is to hear them, let them express themselves, validate it. You might want to say, oh, I've had that feeling too when I was given an example of something that you might have just experienced. And then allow that child to feel that it's okay to have emotions. We are allowing children to feel, and that is how you validate them, by giving them the opportunity to speak, to be heard, to be comforted, but we're not going to fix it for them. We're going to let that feeling sit. I call it get comfortable with the uncomfortable. It's one of my favorite expressions that I got from one of my favorite psychologists, Dr. Kurtz. Allow that feeling of uncomfortableness to sit with you. And that's going to be what we have to do right now. It's also another way to view it as radical acceptance. Sitting with those thoughts, this is what we have now. We're in coronavirus land, whatever you want to call it. We can't fix that. We can't control it. We don't have to like it. But we have to just say, this is what we have now. We have to stay in our apartment or we have to stay in the house and accept it. Again, it doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean you have to want it, but it is what it is. And so we're going to deal with the situation as it is and move forward from there and find things in the situation that can make it better. And again, it goes back to helping your children find a place that is comfortable for them in the house or grow a talent or an interest or organize something or clean out a closet. It's always finding to do as opposed to 
moving away from things like what not to do. Right. So it's sort of the difference between like if a child were say to you, I'm really scared about what's going on. Like one thing to respond, which is not correct, say, oh, don't be scared. Right. As the other one is say, well, I'm scared too, because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's scary for a lot of us. And then to sort of say, okay, but even let's think about it rationally, it'll probably be okay. Or to say, you know, even though we're scared, let's try to do something else that's fun so we don't feel scared. And it allows everyone to sort of be on the same page. And whether it's fear or anger, boredom, whatever it might be that a lot of all of us, not just our kids, are experiencing just as sort of, like you said, accepted this radical acceptance, uh, which is a term that I love also. I it's think our it's our favorite yeah. term. <laughs> It's, it's a, from DBT yeah, therapy, yeah. and it's used a lot, and you'll hear it a lot now, I think. Right. The idea of us being vulnerable is a big part of this, and humbling. When things are out of our control, you have to mind shift and rethink how you've done things and maybe maybe sit with those feelings and find things that you wouldn't normally do. When you don't have control of a situation... It could be very overwhelming. So right. find something that you can control within the situation. Right. And it's okay for kids to know that. Yep. It's interesting because, you know, as you know, anxiety is is something that a lot of kids struggle with nowadays. Maybe they always did, but at least we're recognizing it more now or it's actually happening more now. And this could be a situation that would really provoke anxiety in children, either make it worse if they have it or bring it about if they didn't. And it's something I know that we talk about in our own family with our own kids about how to talk about this and accept what's going on, but not make everyone scared to death of what's going to happen because that's just not healthy. Right. So I've been speaking to parents also about monitoring their own reactions and their own vulnerabilities and their own media consumption. Children are going to take cues from their environment. So if the adult is anxious or always talking about germs or always talking about, I'm scared to get sick, the children are going to react to us as adults. And I've had a lot of phone calls with parents about perhaps not talking about germs in every part of the conversation. Maybe let the child just breathe without worrying if they're going to touch the elevator or the door handle or the mail or the kitchen cabinet. You could let your kids breathe a little bit. Some of the conversations I've had with parents have been very intense. And I can only imagine how that would feel as a child experiencing that, I would say, intense fear <laughs> all day and all night. You wouldn't want to call it paranoia because there is something to be afraid of. It's real. Correct. It right? is this very is, yeah, real. It is real, but I think it has to be taken in context. I mean, obviously it's different in every particular circumstances, but for most families that are together at home, the kids are young and mostly healthy and the parents are probably mostly healthy. And if one of them happened to get corona or they got it, the data shows that they'll probably be okay. Now, it doesn't mean you want to get it, but it's important to explain to our kids that this is a situation and we don't want to get this. It could be bad. So we're going to try to do A, B, and C to avoid it. But, you know, if one of us gets it, we'll probably be okay. We're doing this maybe to protect our grandparents or maybe the doorman downstairs or maybe whatever it is. And so we're trying to do what's responsible and not spread germs. But there's a big difference between that and kids feeling that they wear a hazmat suit all day or else they're all going to drop dead. So when I drove in to the office to do this podcast today, and it was the first time I've heard the news in about two weeks, and it's really shocking at how intense. I don't watch news on TV. I will look at 
the New York Post headline once a day and Facebook and Instagram. But for the most part, I'm not listening to news. I'm not watching the news and I'm not reading the news. And the 20 minute car ride that I had here, which was the fastest car ride I've ever had in the middle of the day from New Jersey to Manhattan, I was scared out of my mind listening to what I was hearing on the news. And I think it's really important for parents to limit their news consumption. I think this is a big part of this because it preoccupied my brain. It was nerve wracking to listen to. And I can only imagine parents who are obsessively listening to that or reading it or having that on the TV with the children in the same room, that's pretty intense and scary. Right. So maybe it's best to just let the kids watch stupid TV shows and oh, dumb yeah. movies and inappropriate things. And I'd much rather have them watching that than, you know, than CNN right now. So kids are going, when, when we think about this in the future, how do we want our kids to remember COVID-19? You want them to remember the hugs you gave them, the emotional stability you gave them, the kisses you gave them, the wreck of the house, the kitchen being messy, the fun you had, the experience you had, not for them to be crazy about germs or having to do their schoolwork or having to engage in Zoom or whatever, or seesaw or whatever's going on. Uh, you really want them to feel good about themselves and have that emotional stability to be able to ride the storm together with the family. I think that's the best gift we could give our children is how to cope and how to be resilient in times like this. Again, we can't fix it for them, but we can model and teach them how to cope in situations that are uncomfortable, scary, or sad for them. Right. And that's that's a lesson that's far more important Correct. or as important, at least, than they're going to learn in school, this idea that, and it's true for really kids of all ages, obviously, this isn't unique to younger children. It's true for adults also, obviously, if any of us are still able to learn anything, the idea that we can be in a difficult situation, we can be scared, we can be angry, we can be uncomfortable, we can even be sick. But how do you get through that? Exactly. Because ultimately you have to get through it. What are the options? And how do you get through it in a way where it brings the family ideally closer together instead of further apart? How you develop stronger relationships versus weaker ones. This idea that you can perhaps learn what are the things we really value and what are the things we need and what are the things we don't need. And I think that those are crucial lessons for kids. And sometimes you can't teach them that unless there's some sort of crisis. And this is, again, you wouldn't wish this upon anybody or any society, but we could also see it as not only this tremendous disruption to our lives and fear, but it's also an opportunity to teach kids what it really means to get through something difficult, particularly kids in our situation. They're they're spoiled. I mean, they have everything that they would ever need. And this is an opportunity to show them what it means to, to not have something. Our kids are definitely indulged. <laughs> I don't love the word spoiled. <laughs> You can see I'm very picky with my words, um, but absolutely. This is Resilience 101. It's like you dropped them on an island and said, let's practice resilience and coping. And this is it. This is as good as it's going to get for us, hopefully. And hopefully we'll make it through and we'll be safe and healthy. This is our test as parents. How do we rise above this? How do we how do we model for our children how to get through this? And you'll do we'll do it together. Right. I think one of the best things about this is family time has been amazing. We've sat down 
the six of us or if Nidhi's on call, the five of us as a family unit and having dinner together every night, which probably has not happened in a very long time. It's very rare when the six of us are all together in a room and we're enjoying each other's company, laughing. You have to laugh every day smiling, making jokes. And it's it's like an incredible bonding experience to be with your family and a gift, I think, to slow everything down, to let go. I think there's something very simple about it. And I, I really like, I enjoy that part of it. I think it's very humbling. One of the lessons that we learned early as parents or someone told us, or I remember I read it or whatever, this idea, this this false notion of quality time mm-hmm. that, you know, that people force quality time, whether it's a vacation or whether it's we're going to intentionally do something. But the best quality time are those totally, you know, spontaneous moments where you all happen to be sitting around the kitchen table together or you're all, you know, hanging out in the den together watching TV and someone does something stupid or funny and or you're all sitting in the backyard, you know, watching the dog do something. Those are the times that you cherish and you remember and that really bond people. It's not getting on a plane and going somewhere, although that could be great. And there's so much of that now. It has been wonderful. I mean, I I come home every night and my days are gruesome. But when I get home, just the fact that all the kids are at home and you're at home and the the dogs and we're just hanging out, it's really nice. Yeah, it's it's really, it it has been pleasant. As one of my kids said to me, there's no FOMO because there's no no fear of missing (laughs) out. Because there's no one's going out. Yeah, there is no out. There is no out. <laughs> it's actually taking a whole load off of our of our kids and social. It's it's really just slowing the pace down, enjoying the moments, appreciating what you have. It, it's a gift in a strange way. So I think it's it's interesting. We spoke about sort of their emotional health and also this idea of appreciating your know, family and quiet time. The other thing is really nice that it also gives them a real opportunity to step up and sort of learn how to help out and volunteer, whether that's just, you know, helping around the house, let's say, which is pretty, you know, simple stuff like, okay, you know, do your laundry or help with the dishes or help clean the table, or help clean the right. house, whatever, Jobs, go shopping. Chores. But also just like, for example, that our kids are interacting with their grandmother, with their mom every day, whether they're, they're WhatsApping her, talking to her, doing errands for her, helping her, whether they're calling my parents in Chicago to reach out to them. I think that it also really emphasizes the importance of that, that frequently you can forget when you're out and busy and doing stuff. But when you realize someone's home alone, we have to really be a part of right. life develops, and to help. It develops empathy. And I'm a big believer in teaching kids what that means. So I will cook meals for people who might need more at this time and and deliver it to them. So it's not just it's calling grandma, but also giving grandma some food. It's it's helping the neighbor who may have lost a husband. It's it's small acts of kindness go a long way in situations like this. And when kids do these type of things, not only are they developing skills of empathy of helping others, they're also developing skills of helping themselves. And they, it helps them feel good about themselves as well. And it's a very important skill that not everyone d- develops naturally. And really modeling and teaching your kids these type of things, setting time out for them to call grandma or to text grandma, what do you need? Or the grandparents that are are more remote and really setting up a situation. Everything's a teachable moment is how I would put it. Right. So while we're all kind of getting used to each other and, and relaxing and enjoying the environment, 
also remember that these are opportunities to have your kids develop a moral compass and to get out of their comfort zone and do things that are, again, small kinds acts go right. far. And it's also, it's it's more than just setting an example for them, which is important to model behaviors and to show them things. But like you said, actually have them do it. Yes. When, you know, there is modeling, which is critical that they see their parents or whoever it is doing kind things or acts that they learn, but also saying, go do this. And kids need direction, especially as, you know, whatever age, you do this. And then when they do it, they sort of learn. And like you said, it's it's gratifying to them. They really, they gain a lot of reward from it as well, in addition to learning, you know, what it means to be a kind person as they grow up in this world. Right. I mean, some other examples I've seen are letters of gratitude or thanking healthcare providers, or even the mailmen who are coming to do our things that we're, we're kind of take for granted every day. But- they're leaving their houses and they're exposing themselves. So I've seen a lot of great things going on and kids being able to step up and, and gratitude and thanking people or doing things that wouldn't normally do. It's, it's a great opportunity to take advantage of, of that during this time. A hundred percent. I want to also focus a little bit on the, the education that's going on and the shift. Because obviously as a school psychologist, you're yes. not only you know focusing on their mental health and their social emotional well-being but also how they learn right you're also there to help them learn as well as they can in a school environment which is its own challenge but now with this total upheaval of school and they're all sitting on a computer screen what is that like to try to learn like that for kids i mean how do we i mean we all sort of know it's not a good idea right everyone sort of gets that it's maybe not the best way to do I it i hope so <laughs> i think parents are definitely appreciating teachers more that's for sure <laughs> what i've been seeing that's successful for families of kids in in the younger grades is to map out a schedule whether it's the night before or for the week have set bedtime routines have set morning routines eat breakfast I've seen parents and kids pack their school bag with snacks, with the folders, whatever they might need to go along with their schedule, and then carve out time for lunch and make sure your kids are doing physical activity every day. And I'm a big believer in getting fresh air. Keeping routine, keeping a schedule for the children is very successful for them. Another thing that works is headphones, actually. You don't realize, but when five people are doing remote learning or work at the same time, it's very distracting, not only for the teacher who might be doing a live Zoom class, but also for the child who is experiencing the environment. And there's a lot of distractions in the environment right now. So headphones can really block out distractors. Right. Especially if people can't be in their own room and people have to share space. Right. So we've been working a lot with kids on finding space for themselves, whether it's in their bedroom or a closet or I don't know, I've seen the, the greatest spaces kids have carved out for their own self and put things in there that help them, tools to help them succeed in the day. So you might have a kid with a book or putty or whatever it is that a, might, a kid might find soothing. Like if it's a younger child, it might be a doll or a blanket to kind of their own corner or their own little cubby in the in the apartment or in the house, that they know that that's their space and they can go in there and do what they, whether it's just relaxing or if that's where they want to do their learning. Every kid has a different thing that might be their toolbox or their toolkit, as we call it. 
and they they can help set aside space and really find comfort in knowing that that belongs to them and no one else in their house. Right. And so a, a lot of kids are going to you know, need that structure that you're talking about. And those are really great tips to sort of simulate a school day as much as you can in these circumstances. And there's probably some kids who are just going to thrive no matter what. You know, you throw them in front of a screen and they'll be great. And there's some kids who have a difficult time with school in general. Uh, and for the kids in the middle, I mean, structure is one thing. I want to talk a little bit about what you said with the fresh air and the exercise. And this also comes back into what we we're saying before about balancing, you know, what they need versus fear. And I think that it's it really is important to know that for the vast majority of kids, it's probably better for them to go out and get some fresh air and get some exercise than it is to stay inside. There could be unique situations, but for the vast majority, certainly people who have a backyard or live in a neighborhood, or they can do that. And even people in the city, there's times when you can do it. And I think that sometimes our desire to keep them safe from the outside backfires because then it's just not a good situation to have a kid indoors at all times. I think it's confusing because you're hearing on the news, stay inside, don't go outside, stay home, stay safe. But you also want your kids to get fresh air and to, I feel like there's common sense here and use your common sense. I feel like parents tend to have really good instincts. And I always say to parents, what's your gut? What, what do you think is best for your child? If that means that the child doesn't do remote learning then that day or that year, I don't care, then they don't do remote learning. Those things will come. So maybe schools will open in September or close in June. I don't know what's going to happen there, but they'll adjust curriculum. They'll adjust expectations. I'm not worried about those type of things. This is a small unit of time, It's but it's really about helping the kids with social, emotional, coping skills. What do they need at the time to help them through those moments? It's what really matters. It's not about did they learn how to read that level today or or whatever or the math. It's it's big picture. I wouldn't focus so much on the small skills that will come. And if it's a little bit delayed because of this, because they weren't directly taught it or the kid wasn't available to retain the information, it's going to be okay. It really is. Schools will adjust. Everyone understands. I mean, some colleges are switching to pass-fail. We have high schools, juniors applying to college. They can't even go to campus because the schools are all closed down. Your first grader is going to be okay, really. Yeah. <laughs> Your pre-K child doesn't want to do live Zoom. It's going to be okay, right. really. We have to have a perspective. And I, it's very challenging because parents are also working from home. So I think a lot of this is also just practicing compassion for yourself and not expecting for everything to be perfect. It's really just lower your expectations all around, lower your expectations for yourself, for what the kids should be learning and for the whole and have compassion for the educators. This isn't comfortable for anyone. No one was trained to do this. Right. So we're kind of all making mistakes together. Right. I mean, there's so many important things that you said there. I mean, in terms of the kids, and we have four kids in four different schools each with four different online learning platforms with four different strategies. And they're all amazing. Yeah, and it's everyone is just trying their best to figure out how right. can we educate these students in a way that's somewhat meaningful, but not crazy on them, not crazy for the teachers. And everyone has their own strategy. Like, you know, our daughter in college, they're sort of going business as usual, but made it pass fail. So that sort of reduces anxiety there. And our son, who's at a different college, they're doing it different based on what program you're in, actually, you know, because, you know, some things they want pass fail and others 
can't have pass fail because you need a grade in order to apply for like nursing school. I mean, there's all these different, you know, or scholarships things. or whatever yeah. it is. And right. then, you know, our, our junior in high school, I know that they've set a certain way, but all the other high schools, each of them does it differently. And some parents are, are really, they're losing their minds over this. I mean, they, they don't know what to do. And I mean, there was one that was pushing the principal to teach more, more, more. And he was like, listen, it's just not reasonable. I can't, I can't torture these children. Like they, they need some time. And our eighth grader has her unique situation. And like I said, you just got to let the schools try their best and put up what they have. And I mean, I've yeah. seen the most intense emails going out to schools yeah. and from you're giving our kids too much work to you're not micromanaging the whole day for them with enough online Zoom sessions all day. And the emails are intense and they're hostile at times. And it's it's intimidating. The educators are are new to this. Teachers did not train to do remote learning. There is so much time that takes to prepare for what might seem like a 30-minute lesson has taken hours for that teacher to prepare the night before, the week before to go into that session. And also remember, like when you're in a classroom, there is that dynamic feedback that goes along with a lesson. The child responds to the teacher, the teacher responds to the child. There's active learning going on throughout the entire day that's that's lost in this type of remote learning. It's a, a shift for everyone because let's say a child will have to hand in an assignment and a teacher will have to give feedback to that assignment, but the child's in first grade. So normally that might happen live, like the interaction between the child and feeding off the teacher and the teacher reading the social, reading the cues of the child. But here it's, it's like the red pen is back almost, you know, with all those like mistakes and it's not the way we teach anymore. And so everyone has to get used to each other and no one's going to be happy and we have to be okay with that. There's no program that is going to satisfy everyone. And it's just trying to find the balance of what the day looks like, taking into consideration everything that goes into a school day that a parent or others may not know. The amount of time that is, I mean, I've been working double the time that I normally work. I feel like I'm 24 seven, maybe not Saturdays. It is so time consuming. And I'm not saying that in any sort of complaining way. It's just the reality that we're all getting used to a, a shifting to a very different system that is confusing and unsettling. And it's really just about remembering we're humans. We're trying our best. We're, we're all in this together. Let's cheer for each other. Let's root for each other. And let's hope that we all succeed together and not root against each other. Right. And, and just not to focus so much on the details of the class and the curriculum, but more so the effort that people are trying and just trying. doing their best. Of the doubt. Yeah. And these, you know, you're a psychologist, not specifically a teacher, right. and I'm not, you know, a teacher, but the idea that these these teachers who not only have to learn all this and do all this, but when they're giving their classes, their kids are at home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're they're they doing it from teacher, home with their own kids at home. They, half of them have kids on their laps. There's challenges. Some teachers, their spouse may have just lost their job. So there's tremendous, or they may have a family member that's sick, or they themselves might be sick. There's tremendous pressures going on for the teachers that parents may not realize. And and the demands that are being placed on teachers and school systems may not be realities. And now there's some families asking for tuition back. It's very complicated. And we're talking about people's lives and livelihood. It's it's This is complicated, complicated things. It's, it's very hard. When I had Emily Oster on the podcast, and so she's a PhD in economics, and she said, 
I could do online teaching if I had a year to prepare my course. She goes, now I have a week. She goes, I'm going to do this next week and it's going to be awful. What they say <laughs> is they turned a school, a brick and mortar school is what I've been hearing, into a remote school in in about a week. And that is like impossible to do. And not to mention, even in our home, the Wi-Fi is down all the time. So, you know... Our kids are, there's like five or six of us that need Wi-Fi at the same time and the Wi-Fi breaks down and, or we, one of us have to come off it. It's just not a perfect system. There are real obstacles that get in the way of it being a hundred percent perfect. So just settle for whatever it is, whatever it is that day. Don't be so hard on everyone or yourself. These are great takeaway lessons, both about the emotional and Social, emotional, and the idea of education. And the last thing I just want to talk about, because we we have to talk about our dogs if we're gonna <laughs> if we're gonna have a podcast together. That first of all, I'm just thankful that our dogs haven't asked for Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> you know, because if they did, it would it would break everything. But one of the most interesting things about our dogs, and we have two awesome, beautiful dogs, is how much kids love having the dogs around during this time because it gives them number one activity. They run around with them. They can take them for walks, someone to play with. They're fun. The dogs the dogs love that we're all home other than they're exhausted because they're getting run around they're all day. They're walked all day. They're <laughs> like, no, I don't want to go. Not, one of our dogs is in protest. Yeah, but but uh but the other thing is at least in our neighborhood, our friends are begging us yeah. to, to like to bring sheets. their dogs. Yeah, let's have play dates with we our dogs. Our dogs go on play dates uh, maybe you know, three to four days a week. Right. Not with other dogs. This is with other <laughs> with kids. With humans. Yeah. And uh, not just kids. Adults. Yeah, yeah adults. And kids. The, the dogs are extremely supportive. They're soothing. They don't talk back. They don't complain that their Wi-Fi is shut down. And they're, you see kids learning with their... You see emotional support dogs showing up to classes. It's it's hilarious. And it's amazing. And the the whole, I keep telling everyone, now's the time to get a dog. And apparently it's very hard to adopt a right. dog. The right shelters now. are all empty. The it's unbelievable. Empty. What a blessing, you know, um, that these dogs are all getting taken now. It's the most amazing thing one can do for their kids. And I realize it's hard, but getting, and we've lived through an animal dying. So we we understand the pros and the cons, but the idea of a pet of or something like a dog we're not huge cat fans in our family. We're all allergic. Doesn't help. Yeah, we, if we brought a cat into our home, it would be <laughs> like it would be a medical disaster. One big epipen for yeah, all of us. Th three people would have to move out, and we'd have to then there'd be no spot in the emergency room. It'd be awful. No cats for the foxes. But there's nothing more comforting and supportive than than a, than a dog, especially during these times. Right. It is, it is the absolute most soothing thing you can do for yourself and for your kids. That's professional advice from a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> anyone who ever asked me, I feel bad for them because I always say that the parent on side, I'm like, you know, I have two dogs. So before we approach this conversation with your child, I have a bias. <laughs> right. And, 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 and of all the people who were not dog people, you were absolutely not a dog person before we got our first dog. Yes. I still have people who are amazed that we have dogs and amazed at me. Right. Listen, people can change. What can I tell you? <laughs> we were like, we're not getting a dog. We're never getting a dog. We For hate dogs. Four we're not years, getting dogs. Four years. Four years. Of, can we get a dog? No. Can we get a dog? No. Can we get a dog? No. And then and then we got a dog. And now Mikhail's no. lying in bed with the dogs licking her face it's and so they're just gross. they're all over each other. It's it's they're you know, delicious. Yeah, wonderful. It's an amazing thing to do for yourself and for your children. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming into this city, even though there's no traffic. Thanks for 
coming on this podcast. I know it's not something you normally love doing, but uh, I really this... <laughs> came because I thought I'd be able to find paper towels in the city. But apparently, there's no paper towels in the city either. No paper towels. So what are we gonna do? I don't know. It's, it's gonna uh... be. We might have to use cloths. Thank you so much for coming on. I will obviously see you at home soon. Uh, but everyone, <laughs> thanks, thanks for having <laughs> me. Good luck. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Absolutely. And just do the best you can. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> That's wise advice. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.